Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the, De- the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Um, this is going to be a little bit more of a sad podcast. The Nuggets season is over. Exit interviews are done. Players are on their way off to their offseason. And the Nuggets will not be heading to the Western Conference Finals, as you clearly already know at this point. Uh, the Nuggets ended up falling to Portland in Game 7 by like 4 points. Uh, tightly contested game, but one where it just felt like no matter what happened, Portland was going to find a way to get the win. Um, despite all of that, though, a wildly successful season for this Denver Nuggets team. Not only did they make the playoffs, they were one win away from the Western Conference Finals. They found out without a doubt, without any doubt, that Nikola Jokic is... he. There is no arguing that he is a top 10 player in the league at the minimum, and that in addition to that, he was even better in the postseason. There were so many things to take away from this postseason run. It was just such an incredible thing. And I want to, I'll eventually go back once I can kind of watch some more film and get a better idea of what happened, uh, kind of just outline the, the playoffs as a whole. But regardless of all of that, what a fantastic season it was for the Nuggets. Um, because it was such a fantastic season, I got a lot of questions from listeners in. So I decided to basically just turn this podcast into what I considered basically just a mailbag episode. We got something like, I don't know, 12 questions that I ended up picking that I'm going to go into detail on and talk a little bit more about. Um, whether how, whether it pertains to the playoffs itself, to Game 7 against Portland itself, whether it's looking down the line to the offseason, whether it has to do with the players currently on the Nuggets roster. There was a lot of questions that came in, so I'm kind of just going to go one by one and answer as many of them as I can possibly answer, just because there were there's a lot of things now to kind of start to unpack with this Nuggets season now in the rearview mirror. So again, there's going to be a lot of offseason stuff coming up. I'll talk about each individual player on this podcast. I'll do breakdowns. I'll talk about the season as a whole. Um, but before we do all that, I kind of just want to take the time to answer questions from fans of the Nuggets and listeners of this podcast podcast to kind of just paint a little bit better of a picture for what we did just witness and go through collectively with this Nuggets organization. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to give a shout out to the Regulators Production Group. They are the ones who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. Uh, You can go find them on Instagram at Regulators Regime. Uh, Rod Simba, R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram is the one who connected us together, put these beats together for me, and made this podcast sound so much more professional than it originally did. In addition to the Regulators Production Group, Terrapin Care Station is the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. They are the reason this podcast exists. They are the reason this podcast continually gets better. They are the reason it's on all these different platforms. Without their financial um, help for this podcast, without them being the presenting sponsor of the show, there just simply wouldn't be a Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. So for any of your cannabis needs in the Denver metro area, make sure to go check out Terrapin Care Station for all of those goods. So before we go any further, here's a quick word from Terrapin. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are 
are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. podcast so let's just dive into the very first one and get going um this is going to come basically from game seven um i have issues with how coach malone utilized the bench at some point you have to trust what got you to this point right and this came in from kyle edema on twitter so there's a lot of thought processes that go into this. Yes, the Nuggets bench was one of their biggest strengths during the regular season. Yes, Monte Morris was great. Yes, Malik Beasley was great. Yes, Mason Plumlee had a big resurgence of a regular season. But with all of that being said, in the playoffs, none of that happened. Like, I mean, none of it. Like Malik Beasley was inefficient and was not consistent in any way. Monte Morris's three-point shot disappeared and he was no longer able to set up guys like he once was. Mason Plumlee became a disaster. I don't know what happened with him. He did get better as the playoffs slowly started getting further and further into it. He was better by the end of the Portland series, but it just wasn't enough. And then when you have all of that going on, while Will Barton is in a gigantic slump and he's trying to save the bench unit, you're not going to get a whole lot of bench production at that point. Will Barton gave it everything he had, and he did improve and you know really kept the Nuggets in a few games in a big way, but... There was nothing working for the Nuggets bench unit throughout the playoffs. And I went into NBA.com and started pulling some lineup data out of curiosity. So out of four-man pairings, that means when four players all shared the court at the same time, and they did not include Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic, every single four-man group that played at least 20 minutes of basketball together in the playoffs were a gigantic negative. Like, there was no chance. I mean, Mason Plumlee, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, and Will Barton sharing the floor together was like a negative 29.2 net rating. They were awful. Like when you're not getting any sense of production from your bench unit, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you really can't go out of your way at that point to play them more minutes to get guys rest because they are literally killing your opportunities whenever the starters are not on the bench. And this is a good opportunity to go into the next question from David Ochoa, which was, did you anticipate the slump from the second unit this postseason? Is that typical with reduced minutes? So when it comes to this question, there's even more, of, um, I guess, semantics to kind of involve in the conversation. So yes, there's always going to be a lesser role for bench units in the playoffs. That is just part of it. You're going to roll with your best, with your best players as often as you possibly can because they're your best players. There's a reason your best players are starters and that the players who are not your best players are on the bench. This is just simple mathematics at that point. So at that point in the playoffs, Every team plays their bench less minutes and they play their starters more. That's why relying on bench unit production heading into the playoffs can be such a damning thing for so many teams. And this was a situation for the Nuggets. They could not rely on their bench unit to continue to be as good as they have been considering all of the different things that were happening and the fact that they just weren't going to get very minutes, very many minutes. 
The other side of this, though, is it's very difficult for a bench unit who has known their role and exactly what was going to be asked of them throughout the regular season to then come into the postseason and have no semblance of a rhythm, no idea when they're coming into the game, nothing. So... Think of it this way. During the regular season, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, and Mason Plumley knew that about the three to four minute mark, they were going to be entering the game to spell the starters and give them a little bit of a rest while also knowing who they were coming in with at what time. That consistency allows you to prepare. It allows you to know what you're getting into. It allows you just to have a sense of comfort and a sense of consistency with the guys you were on the floor with. As the playoffs evolved, Michael Malone's alterations to the rotation became much more, um, they happened more often. It wasn't they were frantic, it wasn't like it was random decisions Malone was making. What it really was, in my opinion, was Malone had to make decisions to be able to keep the Nuggets in these games, and he did and made the right decisions to do so. That's why the Nuggets were within one game and four points of the Western Conference Finals, despite being the eighth youngest playoff team ever in NBA history. So... While Malone needed to make these decisions, those decisions did have the causality of the bench unit had no consistency, no rhythm, and were unable to perform at the level they performed at in the regular season. It did not help that Malik Beasley and Monte Morris both hit their their you know the the proverbial wall going into the playoffs. It did not help that Mason Plumlee, one of the few players with playoff experience on the roster and in the rotation, was a complete non-factor for eighty percent of the playoff games. Those things hurt, but. There were other reasons why it hurt their bench unit so much. So there was a lot of weirdness going on, and we also take into take into account that Will Barton has been a starter or injured basically all year. So when he eventually got benched and Tory Craig entered the starting lineup, that threw off the rotations as well. So Yes, it would have been nice to get more production from the bench unit to get the starters more rest, all of these things, yes, but it wasn't realistic. There was not a situation, in my opinion, that Michael Malone could have played his bench unit more minutes, more consistently to be able to give more rest to his starters and would have been able to get this far in the playoffs. And I just don't think there's a, a reality in which that is the case. All right, so moving on to the next question. Um... So, from Adrian, who do you see starting at small forward at the start of next season? Torrey Craig or Will Barton? I want to preface this by saying we have no idea what the Nuggets roster is going to look like going into next season. So, if, if we just throw out all possibilities of the Nuggets trading for a small forward, signing a starting caliber small forward in free agency or somehow acquiring a draft pick and drafting a small forward that could potentially start, if we just throw all of those opportunities or potentialities out of the window, that leaves us with three potential players, in my opinion, that could start at small forward next year. I think that the conversation starts with Will Barton. If I had to put a percentage chance on Will Barton starting next year, I would say 70% probably. Um, I would give probably a 20% chance to Torrey Craig as the second option, leaving just about a 10% chance for Michael Porter Jr. to just blow everybody out of the water from Summer League on and potentially stealing that spot. I would be very, very, very surprised. 10% is too high, actually. I'd probably say 5% that Michael Porter Jr. can really blow up in the fashion that we are currently talking about. 
Um, so I do think that as we stand right now, Will Barton is going to be the starting small forward of the Nuggets next year. The reason he was removed was not because the Nuggets don't believe in him. It was because he was struggling at that moment in time against San Antonio and that the Nuggets needed more defense full stop than they needed more offense. So because of those things, Torrey Craig was inserted into the starting lineup. I can already hear fans yelling about how much better their defense was with Torrey Craig in the game, but I would still wait and see what Will Barton looks like to start next year. They were too good with Will Barton in the starting lineup alongside Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic to just throw that whole thought process out of the window as it stands. But... It is still a very, very good thing that the Nuggets have Torrey Craig for one more year on that contract around in Denver. He is going to be an extremely helpful player and a guy who can fill in every gap and really acts as the safety blanket for Michael Malone. That's a big point for him to have somebody he can insert when things when the when you know when things get rough like they did in the playoffs. He was able to fall back on Torrey Craig and let Will Barton go to the bench unit and try and slowly get back into rhythm. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be such an interesting case study. Talking to players at exit interviews, and I'll end up doing a podcast specifically on the exit interviews that I'll post a little bit later in the week as well, Um, but so many players spoke about Michael Porter Jr. and how much trash talk he talks and how much they were excited to see if he can actually back it up when Summer League comes around. Uh, If you don't know already, Michael Porter Jr. is going to play in Summer League, or he said that he plans to play in Summer League. So it'll be interesting to see if he can back it up. Paul Millsap said he's going to be in Vegas just to watch and see what he can do because he's been talking so much. It's going to be so interesting to see what kind of Michael Porter Jr. the Nuggets get. We cannot forget that it has been two years and he's only played three basketball games. Two years. So guys don't just come back and know how to play basketball and fall right back into what they were doing after you know not doing it for two straight years. Also, this is a guy who you know has had two back surgeries before being 20 years old. So let's temper expectations a little bit, but know that the Nuggets roster, coaching staff, and everybody around the organization is very excited to see what Michael Porter Jr. can do in Summer League, and then in preseason, and then slowly getting closer to the regular season. So, we'll have to just wait and see. I do think that this is still Will Barton's starting small forward role to lose, full stop for me, in my opinion. Um, Still, easy segue into the next question, which is, how is Michael Porter Jr.? Is he going to start next year? How will he mesh with the team? This comes in from JJ McKenney on Twitter. Um, So first off, how is Michael Porter Jr.? He is healthy and he will play in Summer League, as I said a little bit earlier. Um, He is very excited to play. He's been waiting a long time to get back on the court and says that he feels like an entirely different player and that being able to watch from a distance for a redshirt year like he did helped him kind of learn the team and what he was going to get into. So I do think Michael Porter Jr is in a better place than he would have been as a rookie just coming in and being handed the keys. I think him slowly being weighted, weighted into the pool is going to be a very important thing for him. Um, is he going to start next year? Like I said, very unlikely. 5%, maybe 10% chance that he ends up starting. That is not to say that he does not have the talent to be able to force the Nuggets' hand and start him. He absolutely does have the talent. It's just going to take a mental buy-in from him that we have not seen yet. So, again, temper the expectations. We just don't know. Um, how will he mesh with the team? This is going to be the interesting part. Is Michael Porter Jr. going to buy into the selfless style of the Nuggets? Is he going to buy into their defensive principles and actually fly around and sell out for one another? Is he going to trust his teammates, or is he going to look them off and take shots himself? This is These are the questions that have been there and will continue to be there until we see him play for extended amounts of time. 
we have only seen him play three college games, and other than that, it was only high school. So, of course, guys are much more ball hog heavy in high school when they are clearly the best player on the floor and it isn't even close. So, as of right now, all of the tape that us as media or fans have on Michael Porter Jr. is that he plays for himself, he gets his shots, and he's not necessarily an altruistic style player. So with that being said, is he just going to suddenly decide that he's not going to be that guy anymore? He absolutely could. It's not fair to pigeonhole him into that kind of a player when we've only seen him play high school basketball. With that being said, though, as I've said so many times, pretty much all of the shtick surrounding Michael Porter Jr. is that he thinks about himself, he thinks he's the greatest player to you know step onto a basketball court and all of those different things are going to lead to him likely thinking that he is um better than he currently is considering that it's going to be his rookie season and he had not played basketball for two years so again with all that being said it is just going to be such a hyper interesting summer league with Michael Porter Jr. with the Nuggets I I just can't wait to see what he is able to do all right, moving on from Michael Porter Jr., uh, Art Vandalay on Twitter asked, should the Nuggets jump on a Jamal Murray extension early? Um, I Yes, this is the thing. From everything that I've been able to pick up from this Nuggets organization is that they absolutely view, uh, view Jamal Murray as a guy who is the future of this team alongside Nikola Jokic. He is their future starting point guard, the guy who can be the second star alongside Nikola Jokic. So... From the Nuggets' perspective, it makes complete sense to lock him up as early as you possibly can because there is a very high possibility that the longer you wait, the more valuable that Jamal Murray becomes. Um, This is a very tough scenario for Denver because you have already given your max contract to Nikola Jokic, so giving Jamal Murray a max is going to be an extremely difficult thing. If also, if... Um, and this is the thing too, the Nuggets can give Jamal Murray a max contract. This is not the scenario in which the, um, the Boston Celtics could not give or could not trade for Anthony Davis because they were not able to have two super max guys on the con on their team. If you drafted the player, you can keep the player. So it's very different in that situation than it was with Boston, who was unable to trade for Anthony Davis during the trade deadline because they already had Kyrie. So the Nuggets can absolutely have two max guys in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic on their roster. That's fine. But If you do that, you cannot sign any other max guys. You also um, are going to restrict yourself quite a bit without knowing what the future holds. So the best case scenario, in my opinion, for keeping Jamal Murray in Denver is offering him a four-year extension for $100 million. Like, here's $25 million. It's not quite a max, but it's very, very close. It's a ton of money still, life-changing money, but it's less than Nikola Jokic and a little bit more than Gary Harris. For me, that just kind of feels like the correct hierarchy there. Whether Jamal wants to accept that offer is an entirely different conversation. Whether his agent agrees with that offer is also an entirely different conversation. But that is where I would start if I was Denver. And the longer and longer you wait, and if you let him get to restricted free agency, some team is going to throw a max contract at Jamal Murray to see if the Nuggets are going to bluff. It will happen. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I do think from the Nuggets perspective, it is a much better situation to be able to try and get him extended early and for a little bit less money in order to retain flexibility. 
Moving forward, um, am I the only one who thinks the Nuggets should pick up Millsap's option instead of trying to cash out? Um, Eddie Martinez asked this, and I think it's a very... I'm really happy this question was asked because it's easy on the surface to say, of course you don't pick up his option. Millsap isn't worth $30 million for one year. That, in and of itself, is true. But the Nuggets... And as they have tried to fix their their culture and their perception around the league, they have done everything they can to take care of their guys no matter what. And because of that exact, um, I guess, moral trait that the Nuggets front office holds, it's very difficult for me just to say outright that no, the Nuggets are not, are, are not, are not going to pick up that option. There is a world in which they do because they don't find anywhere else to spend that money. So why not let Paul Millsap take it himself? So it's going to be very interesting. I do not think that the Nuggets are going to um, allow Paul Millsap to have that option. And then, or I'm, I would be very surprised. Let me phrase this better. I'd be very surprised if the Nuggets picked up that thirty million dollar option and paid him thirty million dollars. It makes too much sense to decline the option and restructure a deal because Paul Millsap has already articulated that he would like to stay in Denver. Um, so because of that. I do think it makes more sense for the Nuggets to turn down the money because, again, in one year at this point for where the Nuggets are at, Paul Millsap is not worth $30 million for next year. So it'll be interesting to see. I do think the Nuggets end up getting a deal done with Paul Millsap. I do expect them to get him for much cheaper for probably three more years kind of a deal. We'll see what happens. I would not be surprised if he gets like a three-year $24 million kind of deal. That's about what I'm looking at. Uh, so we'll have to just wait and see. So, But I, I did say something that I want to kind of backtrack. Not even backtrack. Just kind of provide a little bit more context. I said Paul Millsap is not worth $30 million for one more year. That I do agree with. And I do fully believe that. But that does not mean that Paul Millsap has not been worth the two years and $60 million that he has earned from the Nuggets already. He has allowed Nikola Jokic to buy in and become the best version of himself that we have seen so far. He has allowed him to take the reins as the franchise player, and he has helped him tremendously in terms of buying in defensively. Just those things alone, getting the best out of Nikola Jokic and getting him to buy in on defense alongside Michael Malone, that makes the two-year $60 million completely worth it this point full stop for me so that's a lot of ways to say no he should not get his option picked up there isn't a possibility that he does get it picked up but I do not foresee the Nuggets losing Paul Millsap how things currently stand right now all right that's enough about Paul Millsap let's move on to the next question and this one is going to sound crazy at first but I also think it's an important thing to talk about because I saw a lot of Malone hate all over the timeline and all over social media after the loss, and I haven't been able to wrap my head around why. So the question from Daniel Miller came in as, does this hurt Malone standing with the organization? This is a devastating loss for Malone. Why? What is it about this loss that makes it specifically Malone's issue or the fact that the Nuggets didn't make it to the Western Conference Finals? My other question would be is why are we looking at this season as a failure? Why are we pinning this on Michael Malone as if the Nuggets didn't make the playoffs again? I don't fully understand it. I don't fully get why this take would be out there. All I can think of is that this is just a Twitter thing where people have been talking about firing Malone for three years, so why not keep the conversation going, I guess? But I wanted to make sure I talked about this because I thought Michael Malone was very good in the playoffs. I thought that he was very smart in his decision-making process. I thought he made the right alterations. I thought he trusted his guys and was repaid by good games when they least expected it, um, a la Will Barton. 
and all of those things. Like I was very surprised to see this take out there. I didn't expect it. Um, it was just a, <sighs> oh, sorry. Um, it was just weird. And I wanted to take this time to talk about how Michael Malone at this point, I don't find any situation in which he should not be the coach of the year. He's been that good this year. I mean, the Nuggets missed almost more games than any other team in the league to injury. They were the eighth youngest playoff team ever. They were the uh, they were the youngest second seed ever, and yet they were one game away from the Western Conference Finals. Like, I don't get what the issue is here. And I wanted to speak on that because Michael Malone has been nothing short of incredible. I mean, that is really how I feel. Absolutely nothing short of incredible. And he pressed all the right buttons throughout the playoffs and the Nuggets got better because of him. Full stop. The next question that came in had more to do with looking down the line towards free agency, and it came in from Nuggets Nation, which was, is Denver in the market for another superstar or all-star player in free agency? Considering that we have no idea what anybody is doing in free agency yet because the season has not ended, I don't want to get into player specifics about which players the Nuggets could go after. That being said, a much more convoluted conversation. So what I want to do to answer this question is talk financially where the Nuggets are currently at. So, right now... As everything currently stands, with all cap holds still in place, the Nuggets are $26 million over the cap. That is a very tough place to be. Uh, cap holds do not play into the luxury tax. The Nuggets still have about $12 million, a little less than $12 million, before hitting the luxury tax. But, again, with that being said, if the Nuggets renounce their cap holds on Trey Lyles, on Tyler Lydon, and on Isaiah Thomas, which is, I guess, somewhat expected for... All, if not, you know, two of them for sure. Trey Lyles, we'll see. The Nuggets might bring him back on a cheaper deal. I have no idea. Odds are, though, is that they have all three of them walk by the end of the season. If that happens, the Nuggets will suddenly find themselves with about $11 million um, over the over the cap. So the only way they would be able to sign a max level free agent is if they just outright decline Paul Millsap's contract. If they decline the $30 million contract and let Paul Millsap walk, they would have $31.6 million in cap space, below the cap. So if they somehow do that, they would have enough money at that point to sign a max contract who has six years or less of experience in the NBA. The guys who have uh, six years or less of experience in the NBA, they make um, they make 25% of the cap as their max contract. If the Nuggets want to go beyond that, if they want to sign a guy like, let's just, you know, this is just throwing names out there. I don't even agree with it. These are just names. Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler, guys who have seven to nine years of experience, it would then cost 30% of the cap, which is expected to be $32.7 million per year with the contracts getting bigger and bigger and bigger in each year after that. If the Nuggets want to sign a guy with 10-plus years of experience, you're talking about $38.15 million per year of contracts. So, if the Nuggets wanted to sign a guy that had more than six years of NBA experience to a max contract, they would need to trade one of Mason Plumley or Will Barton. Uh, more likely Mason Plumley, because if you send out Mason Plumley and you sign a guy to a max contract, 
you would then have about $7.5 million left below the cap at that point. Because if you renounce Paul, or if you let Paul Millsap walk, you renounce your cap holds, and you trade Mason Plumley, you're talking about $45.6 million in cap space. So you can sign, let's just, again, hypothetical, not going to happen, sign Kevin Durant to his $38 million this year, leaves you with about $7.4 million left to maybe even bring back Paul Millsap on a much smaller deal. So there is a scenario scenario in which the Nuggets can create enough room to be able to sign a max contract guy. It's just, are the odds really there that the Nuggets want to do something as crazy as that? I would say no. I don't think there's any reason to blow up the team that much. Well, it wouldn't even be blown up the team that much. But to let Paul Millsap just walk with the hope of trying to sign a max level free agent and also lose your only backup center on the team, that's a scary proposition. But still, the Nuggets would then be able to sign a max-level guy and then maybe bring back Paul Millsap at about $7 million a year for three years. Call it you know three years, $21 million contract. That is feasible, but it also does not take into account um, Jamal Murray, who is still going to, going to need to get an extension. What you could do is do all of these things that I talked about. You know, let Millsap just completely decline Millsap's contract, trade Mason Plumley away, bring back no money for him somehow, and then also renounce Lyles Leiden and Isaiah Thomas. If the Nuggets are able to do that, they would still have the bird rights for Jamal Murray to spend way into the tax to be able to extend him and then deal with the money next year when his contract acts actually kicks in. So there is a scenario out there in which the Nuggets can open up a max contract slot, still bring back Paul Millsap, and still get Jamal Murray's extension done, it is just an extremely improbable situation. So, I know that was long-winded. I'm sorry I just spent like four minutes just trying to explain the cap verbally through a podcast, which is not the best way to go about that. But, that is kind of what I'm looking at for if the Nuggets were going to try to open up a max contract slot. So, take that for what you will. That's where I'm going to leave it. Um, Next question. With so much depth on the team, are the Nuggets better suited to make a trade for a superstar rather than get one in free agency? Yes and no. Like I just talked about, the the Nuggets can make the money work in free agency if they want to without really giving up very many pieces. With that being said, the Nuggets could look to trade, you know, a mixture of Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Jamal Murray, or Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., future picks. There's a lot of ways that the Nuggets could make a trade work. It would just be difficult to do so. They have enough salary-heavy guys like Will Barton, Gary Harris, Mason Plumley to be able to make a deal work financially with plenty of sweeteners in the deal like Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Michael Porter Jr., and future picks to be able to you know, incentivize the deal beyond just the money. So, yes, the Nuggets could make it happen. Are they better suited? That just comes down to who you're trading for and what you're trading. If you're able to, again, hypothetical world, let's just say Kawhi Leonard suddenly is interested in coming to Denver for some random reason. If that's the case, it would make a lot more sense to me to go the free agency route, try and trade Mason Plumley, completely let Millsap walk, sign Kawhi Leonard to a max, bring Millsap back, and then expend Jamal Murray and deal with the money later. That makes more sense to me, but again, the Nuggets might not want to spend that far into the tax. Josh Kroenke may not want an extension on the books next year when the Nuggets are already going to be like $11 million into the tax. That's a very big amount of money to deal with. So 
We'll see. And also, the other little piece of this is trading for a star player this year, as things currently stand, is going to be very difficult for Denver because they don't have a draft pick second or first round this year. So to incentivize a team to actually want to do a deal with them is going to be even harder than it is um, you know, without a pick than everything else that I said. So with all that being said, it does seem like the better and easier route to being able to sign a max level guy is to just go the free agency route and create the cap space to do so. There are plenty of opportunities to do so. So it'll be interesting to see if the Nuggets feel like they want to do that, if they're going to take that route. Um, the one interesting little piece of this is, of course, is Tim Connolly going to be here? Um, that's for a whole other later discussion. I still have no idea if he's going to be here. But the one thing I do know is that Tim Connolly has been nothing but aggressive as a GM, so or as a president or as a GM. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Second to last question. I know this has been a very long-witted podcast of me talking a whole lot about how I feel, but Casey Mulligan on Twitter asks, would Jamal Murray potentially work better as a pure shooting guard? Yes, I mean, I think he would. I mean... This is it's a it's a tough conversation because there's two sides to this. Yes, Jamal Murray is not where he needs to be as a pure point guard. With that being said, he has improved dramatically this year as a playmaker. His decision making is still not 100% there. Either is either is his abilities to make particular passes, but he has without a doubt improved. Um the other part of this is that I don't think his role needs to change for him to be more of a shooting guard. I think going into next season, we're going to see the ball in Nikola Jokic's hands even more than we saw it in his hands during the regular season. I think we're going to see a, a happy medium between a more passive regular season Jokic and the ridiculously assertive and urgent Nikola Jokic in the postseason. So if Jokic is going to become the unquestioned point guard of this team, I would expect Jamal Murray to fall into more of a secondary initiator role and a guy who is more of just an off-ball threat who is running off screens and things like that more than a guy who is taking up the ball off the floor and things like that. Um, I'm going to end up writing on every player and how they could improve and things like that, so I'm not going to get into too much depth, but that's kind of my feeling about Jamal. I do feel like Nikola Jokic will take on more responsibilities, which will make Jamal's life easier. Whew, last question. Let's knock this out real quick. Um, Alexander on Twitter just asked offseason priorities. And I wanted to talk about this because I didn't have anything specific I wanted to say. There's just a couple traits that I want to see the Nuggets hold on to. First and foremost, keep this continuity strong. Do not hold people back from better jobs. But if Tim Connolly gets a bigger offer from the Washington Wizards, like a doubling his salary without even having to interview, like David Aldridge of The Athletic reported, the Nuggets have to, full stop, offer at least the same amount of money, if not more, to be able to keep Tim in Denver. He has been the architect that has rebuilt this entire Denver Nuggets organization. I do not want to hear any situation in which the Nuggets did not at least try to offer more money to keep him in Denver. I know people are like, oh, you know, the Nuggets are cheap. It is what it is. I don't care. Josh Kroenke, Stan Kroenke, they are billionaires who are married to the Walton family who owns Walmart. Let's not just pretend like there's a scenario in which they don't have the money to do this. They have all of the money to do this, and I don't care if they have to pay it. They should do everything in their power to keep the continuity strong, particularly by keeping Tim Connolly here. Um, I would like to see them if, so like, 
right now, we have a situation in which Cleveland has already hired a head coach, despite the fact that both Wes Unsell Jr. and Jordy Fernandez interviewed for the head coaching position. A report came out in which the Cavaliers now want to bring in one of the assistant coaches they interviewed for their head coaching role as a lead assistant. If this happens, I would love to see the Nuggets find a way to keep their guys together, pay them enough money to keep this coaching staff together. They have developed these players so beautifully and put in so many beautiful sets and really made this team work as a full basketball team on both ends of the floor. Why let that go over money? They're just I really hope that money is not the reason that this coaching staff potentially starts to get a little bit lesser of what they were and that guys take um, you know, lateral jobs for just a little bit more money because the Nuggets wouldn't pay them more. I do not want to see that happen. That continuity needs to stay strong. The next thing I want to see for a priority list is stay healthy. This Nuggets team has not been healthy in a long time. If they can come back and stay healthy, you know, as as much as any NBA team can, we're going to see a much better version of this Nuggets team. I mean, again, I think they've ended as the third most missed games due to injury in the regular season of any team in the NBA, and they still won 54 games, and they still managed to go to this second round of the playoffs, and we're one game away from the Western Conference Finals. Imagine if they're just healthy. So my other thing is just Denver needs to stay healthy. And the third and last thing is if Denver does nothing, they still have high hopes. This team does not need to do anything. Let them grow. Let them be who they're going to become. And let them have the time to actually become that team. There is so much talent already on this roster. There's no reason to blow it up now because you lost one game by four points to to miss the Western Conference Finals despite how young that they were. So with all of that being said, there are ways to improve this team, but if you really, really want to keep this trajectory going forward, keep the continuity, stay healthy, and then just keep things as they are. That is the biggest thing for me. Okay, that is all I got for you guys. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. It has been such a fun and magical season, but for me, the season does not end. The offseason is here. There's going to be plenty of draft talk, plenty of free agency talk. I'll end up getting a lot of articles out. I'm going to prepare for this offseason right now and try and figure out what the plan is. It's going to be a very fun offseason because there's so many things that could change in the NBA. But on behalf of my own high sports, thank you guys for listening and interacting all year long. It means the world to me. Go give the Regulators Production Group some love on Instagram. That is at Regulators Regime. And then go check out Terrapin Care Station for all of your cannabis goods. This has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. You can find this podcast on every podcast listening platform. Stitcher, Player FM, CastBox, uh, Google Play, um, you know, Apple Podcasts, all of them. iHeartRadio, Spotify, it's everywhere. So go subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review, leave a five-star rating. Those really help. But until next time, I will talk to you guys later.